Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Welcome to another episode of Relentlessly Resilient, where real people share real-life experiences and the tools they've developed to move forward and live their best lives. I'm Jenny Taylor. And I'm Michelle Scharf. I am so excited today because I get to interview someone who I think is really amazing. And that's our own uh, co-host, my own co-host, Jenny Taylor. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you today. It's been a long time in coming. You know, when we first started this podcast, we barely knew each other, really. And the, the more that we do this and the more time that we spend together working on on this and other things as well, helping with the Brent Taylor Foundation and, and some other exciting projects, we're getting to know each other. And I realize that the world knows the story about Mayor Taylor, Major Brent Taylor, and they know about Jenny Taylor, the widow of and the mother of seven children, but they don't really know the story of you and Brent, you and Brent, just as the regular everyday people. And that's the story I've been interested in. And that's the story that sometimes leaks out in our interactions And that's what I wanted to talk to you about today. Well, I'm so grateful you're giving me this chance because I think sometimes even I forget what regular life was like. I know for my kids, I don't want them to grow up thinking their dad was just this superhuman hero. He was awesome. He really was. But I think it's important that we reconnect to what what people are really like, what things are like maybe when it's quieter and off of the stage or off of the television camera. Um, off the highlight reel. Off, yeah, off the highlight reel. It's just, you know, Michelle, it's been surreal. That's the only word I can think of. We're two and a half years into this. Brent deployed three and a half years ago, so he's been gone from us longer than he's been deceased. But I just lived this life that I'm like, where did I walk onto a movie set? You know, what happened? What happened to my regular life? We were just regular people. We're from small town Utah, pretty boring lives like they were not super captivating and exciting to watch or anything but I'm excited to to tell a little so tell me what you want to know you ask some questions and I'll I'll give you the insight the best I can we heard the early days about how you met already and that's in an earlier episode I think it was pretty right at the beginning maybe the intro yeah right at the intro of our podcast so we know that story but tell me about you know what it was like the early days of Brent and Jenny before before kids, which was probably not very long, right? <laughs> can you once you've had kids for a while, can you even remember life before no. kids? All right, so here's how it started and I'll reference that other episode um what we shared. We were set up on a blind date. We were so similar as a match that even this friend who barely knew either of us could recognize we belong together. And I laugh about that and I told him, my husband, several times in our marriage People like us shouldn't marry each other. Like, (laughs) There's a reason people talk about opposites attract because usually you look for the strength and the weakness and the balance and maybe one's really driven and one's more chill. And we share a lot of the same strengths. We share a lot of the same passions and ambitions, which is really what brought us together. And sometimes that was tricky, you know, a little, little exhausting, but... Did it create some conflict? It did. It did sometimes, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we're both really old-fashioned. Anyone who, particularly people who didn't know me before I was married to Brent, so people who maybe lived in a neighborhood with us, helped raise our kids and things, we chose to live kind of the old-fashioned style where he was the breadwinner and went to work, and I stayed home with the kids. And that was very conscientious. It wasn't mm-hmm. like the role of a dice, or, and it wasn't, oh, I have no other skills, so I'll just stay home and, and bake cookies all day or whatever. No, you had a degree, was, and you yeah. were teaching. and, and But we, we from, from very early on, kind of chose that path. And so to a lot of people on the outside, I was I was kind of in the background, mm-hmm. and... and um. 
but I had some of the same drive and the same passion, the same ambition as he did. And I'll admit there, there are times where being home all day and always being pregnant or nursing or both, it it would be exhausting. And I would look at his life and say, what do you do all day? What do you, what do, you do all day? And he, you know, how was your day? And I'd Your ask him. husbands come home to the yeah. wife and say, what do you what do, do you, all day? No, well, here's, here's what Brad Taylor did all day, especially those last couple of years he's elected to office. You know, he had breakfast with so-and-so and then went to some kind of planning meeting and then met up with somebody for lunch and then got in a heated debate about something else and then met with someone to kind of lay the groundwork for a project that's not happening yet but will. And I'd be like that. Okay, well, let me tell you what I did all day today because it certainly wasn't going to lunch and breakfast with all my friends. But now that I like lived in this freaky Friday world these past couple of years, I'm like, oh, so you, I went to breakfast with someone and I went to lunch with someone and I got in a heated debate with someone and I'm trying to plant some seeds for a future project. Oh, my gosh. I really feel like God has let me walk around in Brent's boots for a little while. But, you know, early on, he enlisted in the Army while we were engaged. He left to boot camp right after we got married. I have never cried so hard in my life. It's so funny. I look back now and think, you know, that young love when you're so new and, and the thought of being away from each other for five minutes just hurts and makes mm-hmm. it so you can't breathe. I remember dropping him off. It's called MEPS. It's the military processing station. And I remember dropping him off in Salt Lake and driving back to Spanish Fork, Utah to teach school that day and just sobbing in the car. I remember coming home from work and just sobbing before I went to bed and just being beside myself. How will I ever live without you? Well, in that first five years of our marriage, we spent three years living apart because of his military service. And he had his first year of training. And then shortly after that, he deployed and did a couple deployments back to back and and I remember just thinking how grateful I was for the time we did have together. And that's mm-hmm. one thing the military really offered us was the ability to focus on what matters most and to strengthen our strengthen ourselves as a as a married couple. So he when he was at boot camp, we wrote letters. That's all you could do. No cell phones, no email, certainly no FaceTime or anything. It didn't exist then because this was the early early two thousands. Um We'd write letters back and forth to each other. And those are now a treasure because a phone call is awesome. FaceTime's awesome, but we don't usually record those things. So right. They're gone. So we'd write letters. After the first couple of months at boot camp, I went and saw him graduate. And that was just crazy because he was like just in boot camp mode where you don't move, you don't flinch, you don't breathe. And I'd be like, hi, honey, do you remember me? <laughs> and, and then he had some more training and... After that first year, then he came back uh, shortly after we found out we were expecting our first baby. We always both wanted a family. Uh, We wanted a big family. We never put a number on it. I've had people ask, you know, we have seven kids and that's a lot of kids. But we just never felt like our family was done. Mm -hmm. And I'll admit, I got to... I got to baby number four and kind of started to just feel really exhausted. Like, are we ever going to be done? Because if we're not done now, how are we ever going to be done? And... People say things like, oh, you're having another one or and, – and that was hard. So you talk about kind of this conflict, two really strong driven personalities dedicated to our country, dedicated to our community. And your faith. And and our faith and very, very much our faith is ingrained in, in pretty much all of our service mm-hmm. to our God and our country is, is one. But um, I'll admit a weakness of mine – this is total confession day – I worry too much what people think. I'm getting better at it as I get older but – when, you know, we'd have a baby and I love this sweet little baby and I would know this baby needed to be with us and with our family. And I couldn't think of anywhere else I'd rather be. I'll admit there'd be those outside voices that would make me think, you know, we'd have people say, well, you can't possibly love all of them. This can't be good for them to, you just can't give them the attention they need. And, and you really can't have that many kids and really give them what each child individually needs to have. And, and I would kind of beat myself up over that and wonder, are, are we are we totally off base here? You know, I am not the best mother. I will admit that. Anybody who's met me knows that. My kids will tell you all day. And yet we just, we knew our family wasn't complete. And that fourth baby was really hard. A lot of people have three kids. Mm-hmm. Several people have four kids. By the time we got to having that fifth child, it's like I was almost afraid to tell people we were pregnant. Mm-hmm. And I just wouldn't. And so anybody who knew me while I was pregnant, I would just not tell you I was pregnant until I was like six months pregnant. Be like, I, I just totally get it. I can't, I can't <laughs> handle the fact that most of you aren't going to mind your own business. You're right. going to say stupid things about you know how that happens, don't you? And and <laughs> and it was just it was our personal decision. Now the reason I 
I bring that up is because it really tied in also to deployments and running for office. Because every time Brent deployed, people would say, oh, are you sure? And why are you doing that? And are you running away from your marriage? Or even more recently, there was an article written about Brent posthumously where it made the the assertion that he must have been deploying to make more money. Mm -hmm. It's like, man, there's a lot of things you can do to make way more money than going to war. But that's one of the challenges I've I would say in my my marriage with Brent, whether it was a deployment, a baby, or running for office, being able to trust the decision Brent and I made that we did based on our faith and we did talk about what we think God would have us do, and then being able to own that decision mm-hmm. and not worry about what the other guy said or what someone else thought. And that is where I really would trip. It wasn't that I didn't agree with running for office or that I wasn't just as passionate about answering the call to serve in the Middle East. It's that I felt I had to explain it to everyone, to their satisfaction. And I realized that's that's not going to happen. You know, people like me and Brent, whether we should have married each other or not, we did. For better or for worse, we both were driven, ambitious. Um, some people would say prideful people, but were people who wanted to get things done. From the very beginning, we wanted to live a life that mattered beyond just to ourselves. A life with purpose. A life with purpose, right? Yeah. And so I thought we had that purpose. Our purpose was, honestly, if I'm being really candid, my purpose was to help him be successful in his career. Mm-hmm. My purpose was to raise these beautiful children. And my purpose was to figure out how to kind of make that all gel with the fact that I am a very type A OCD driven person myself. And keeping up with what he was doing and all of these kids didn't fit well with that. And Mm so you and I have talked off air before where that that sometimes is what causes me the most um, mental unwellness Mm -hmm. is the fact that I want my life to look and feel and go the way that I think it should. And it doesn't. Right. And so that's something ever. But but I I joke and I God has such a sense of humor. (laughs) And, you know, and Brent and I were really candid with where our faith tied into our political choices Mm -hmm. or not our political feelings, but choice to serve in political office, where our faith tied into service to our country, where our faith tied into getting pregnant again. And I would always tell him, I would say, you know, when I die and get to the other side, God might say, Jenny, you messed everything up from the get-go. Like, you just misread every cue I ever gave you, but he'll not be able to question my intent. Right. I really, Brent and I both really tried to do what we felt was part of our life mission. And if we misread it and messed up, well, then I guess we're just going to have to let God figure that out. But So I want to, you brought up something. And this may be overstepping, so I guess we could edit if it is. <laughs> oh, when have we ever not overstepped, Michelle? Come on. Um, I know. Isn't it great? So what was the drive of Jenny Taylor? What did you want to do that you felt like maybe you were missing out on with all of this stuff? We've got to wrap it up here in three minutes for our break. Oh, man. Can I answer anything in three minutes? You know, Michelle, I don't, I don't know that I would have described it as missing out on something. I, again, very faith-based individual. Mm -hmm. For years, I would say, I feel like I came to this life with several skills and abilities that were already part of my nature. And I developed them through high school and college, leadership opportunities, Mm -hmm. good grades, all those things. And then I jumped into this role of marriage and motherhood. And I never really felt like I was missing out on where that other path could have taken me because I'm confident it could have taken me a lot of places. But I remember very clearly several times in those 15 years thinking, there are other skills and abilities I don't have that I know will benefit me to develop. And things like being a better nurturer or being able to find great joy and happiness in Brent's success rather than my own. And Mm -hmm. those are things, again, I'm being incredibly candid and open here, that as as a really driven, ambitious, independent woman, a lot of people think I'm largely feminist when in reality what life the past 20 years has taught me is how beautiful life is when you work hand in hand Mm -hmm. when men and women work together when men and women recognize the fact that we have different strengths and abilities and sometimes the same strengths and abilities right and so there was a lot of give and take in those years of learning how to not be competitive but to be complimentary to each other. Mm-hmm. And I took great pride in knowing that there is no way Brent Taylor could have been or done who he was and what he did without me. And I'd tell him that all the time. Yeah. 
And Good um, for you. And and again, that would be my pride coming out. I would say I am not the perfect wife, but I am the perfect wife for you because no other woman would put up with this. And that that was kind of the validation I needed. Yeah. And and again, a weakness of mine. For him to be so successful and able to give so much to the community and be out there outside of our home doing so many awesome things that were so important to both of us, I just wanted to feel like I was a part of that. Mm-hmm. Just remind me, I'm a part of what you're doing. And I've really come to realize and see that more clearly since he's died. Yeah. And that's that's something maybe we can visit is how my vision of those 15 years married and bearing children I see it so differently now than I did when I was stuck in the thick of it. I really do. Yeah. Well, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to hit on some other exciting topics. We'll be right back. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope and Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. So we're back. I feel like this is Jenny Taylor exposed, Michelle. Like, maybe we need to not air this. But hey, I'm an open book. I will I will tell you and let you into all of the corners so, of my life. So, so now you know what it's like to be in the hot seat with Michelle, right? So this is the thing. You know, a lot of these people that have been on our show have been on the show because I'm out in politics. I'm working with a candidate or an issue. And I'm talking to people. And as I talk to people, I... They'll say something which triggers another question and another question. And before they know it, they're telling me some pretty raw things about themselves. You draw out of people. You really do. I don't intend to, except that I kind of do because I love love people's stories. I love – I went to the festival this weekend out at uh, Seabase with uh, uh, Steve Yerkert's Divine Assembly. And um, I just went around talking to people and asking them about their story and their purpose. And a few of them, I told them that I had a podcast and they thought it was great. And I heard some amazing stories and also some really like out there stories, like beyond trauma, just, you know, very interesting stories. And so I do. I love hearing people's stories. I think that they matter. And I and I like to to have this is so exciting for me because now we have a format for me to have these people come and share them but now it's your turn (laughs) and so you you brought up what have i agreed to (laughs) you brought up being messy before the break and um you know marriage is not perfect and you also brought up that article and so it triggered two two thoughts within me some people because the story's been so big or because it's been told for quite a bit of time and I I admit people will ask me I'll say oh I have a podcast do you know Jenny Taylor oh yeah I know Jenny Taylor and then sometimes the second question I get is why is uh, that story with Brent Taylor like why is that such a big story and I'm like well um he was like the first and and correct me if I'm wrong but I do do tell people this So you better correct me if I'm wrong. So we hope it's true. I hope it's right. I think I know where you're going. So I tell people he's one of the first public serving officers killed in action since like the Civil War or something. Yeah, they say he's the first sitting politician to be killed in in a combat death since the Civil War. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 huge. Notable. It's it's a notable. It's it's kind of like a Pat Tillman left the NBA to go serve. It doesn't mean his service was any more noble right. than any other. 
private that served in the army, but it does it draws a different attention from a different demographic that you know with Pat Tillman it was the the athletic world. Right. With Brent Taylor, I think part of it is it's the political world. Right. Now, generationally speaking, if we went back twenty or fifty years, every political person had a military background. It, it's just the way the country was for, for right. generations. Really for the first couple hundred years of this country, military and politics were almost simultaneous right. or at least a part of each other uh it's not true anymore yeah vietnam changed all of that we have a whole generation your generation and mine michelle that political leaders on the local all the way to national federal level did not serve in our yeah. military and so that's different this post 9 yeah. 11 era is bringing that back so anyway that's a side that's a side topic but i think that's part of it so you know that kind of notoriety and sometimes people are like they, they just don't get it or or they don't know but we had an article come out recently, and I, I was upset about it. I read it, and um, I agreed with your take on it. In fact, I, I did not have kind words in my house when I read the article, and it ended up in my trash can pretty readily and quickly with a lot of a large string of swear words attached to it going well, into the Well, thank you trash. for saying them for me so I don't have to. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't hold back on that. So anyway, it was upsetting to me. And my take on that article was like there was just an effort to kind of like dismantle who Brent was. He really actually was a good man. Yeah. He was a faithful man. He was an honest man. Was he perfect? No, because none of us are. But he he didn't do any of the highlight reels of terrible things in the world, right? He yeah. was just a good God-serving, God-loving, faithful man who probably yelled at his wife and kids occasionally, got frustrated, you know, whatever, right? Like he was a real person. Yeah, he but was, he wasn't he wasn't out having if, affairs. He wasn't. No, if anything, if anything, he was kind of boring. I mean, and I say that in a very loving way because right. he didn't like. He drank ice water at restaurants. Like he didn't like <laughs> soda because he didn't like carbonation and he didn't really watch a lot of sports and he was really dedicated to what he did but he, he liked cold stone ice cream. Cold stone but he, but he always got the same kind Michelle. That's I, the right. point. Every time no and matter his how hamburger many hamburger choices are terrible. Okay, here's <laughs> like when you're broke when you're broken dating in college or early married we would get like the 2 for 1 coupons and go wherever you could go to eat and you can always get a hamburger somewhere. I mean, the guy, he didn't like Chinese food. He didn't like sushi. He didn't like Asian food. He wanted a hamburger with meat and cheese only on the bun. Yeah. Fries. No ketchup, no sauce, no condiments at all. Toward the end, he'd put barbecue sauce on it. And that was like, whoa, really a big <laughs> He's deal. He's stepping up. Yeah. So, so I, think, I think it's a worthy question to address. And obviously, different people can give different answers. But if you were to ask me some thoughts on why I think this story has been told a lot of times or for a long time or however you spin it. I think part of it is because of that little bit unique niche of who Brent was as a soldier. Again, not any more awesome than any other soldier, not any more um, dedicated than any other soldier, but the fact that he was in politics and serving as a soldier and that he that he did die in combat while on a leave of absence from that political duty, that puts him statistically in, in kind of an interesting uh, pocket I think the fact that we have seven kids, for better or for worse, and I might be the the least qualified on the planet Earth to raise seven kids, but we have them. And we all know in today's world of reality TV and headlines, I mean, my jaw drops when I hear someone has seven kids. I'm like, seriously, like you gave birth to all of them? (laughs) I'm like, oh, wait, so did I. I mean, it's again, it's some of these some of these statistical things that feel a little unusual. Um, But I think to a degree and you can say this for better or for worse. Part of the reason Brent's story has been told a lot of times is because we as a family have been willing to tell it. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you talk about this life of notoriety, and I know I get blasted for it all the time. Why mm-hmm. do we get so much attention? Why do we get so much charity shown to us? Or why? I know there are people who disagree with the amount of goodness being given to my family. All I can say is I promise I didn't ask for any of it, and I'm incredibly grateful. Um, I feel I have a massive debt to this world because of the goodness that's been shown to us. But my first phone call from the national media came less than 24 hours after a soldier knocked on my door to tell me my husband was dead. On my cell phone, someone from CBS this morning back east had my cell phone 
And they called me. They didn't call the National Guard. They didn't call Utah. They didn't call the city of North Ogden to try to get in touch with Mrs. Taylor. And I answered my phone. And I've answered my phone every time they've ever called. We, we referenced that article that came out in the magazine recently, which, in all fairness, I think he was trying to paint the picture that Brent was more than just a superhero. And he was trying to give that other side. So I appreciate that. I do feel he did it with a little bit of a negative slant undertone. But some of the things in that article that you might look at and say, how does he know that? Well, because I gave him journals. Mm-hmm. I told him. I, I I think I've made it clear for a couple of years now. I'm a pretty open book. I think it's important to tell both sides of the story. But when I got that first phone call from the national media and they're asking if they could meet to do an interview, I'm, I, I've not been interviewed before. I mean, Brent interacted with local media about local politics, but they didn't call me. Very few people ever asked me how I felt about Brent's military service. They didn't ask me how I felt about his political service. Very few people asked me how I felt about having seven kids. I mean, I knew how I felt, and Brent and I discussed those things with each other and God regularly. But it's like 15 years worth of devotion and dedication behind the scenes was finally being given the opportunity to say, what do you think or how do you feel? Mm -hmm. And I never set out to still be talking about it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, That first phone call from CBS this morning is what led to me meeting the media outside of Dover Air Base on Election Day 2018. So Brent died on a Saturday. They brought his body home Monday night into Tuesday morning. That Tuesday was our election day. And an hour after his body was transferred in front of us, I went to a park. It was still dark and addressed the local media. And just and I feel like I opened my soul to America about where I was and what I what I felt, what I thought Brent would want me to say mm-hmm. since he's not here to say it anymore. Um, that following Sunday, so the week between Brent's death and his burial, our city held kind of a memorial service at the local amphitheater. It happened to be Veterans Day. I mean, the guy timed it so well. It's Election Day. It's Veterans Day. It's that patriotic time. And several people who had served with Brent in city staff or city politics spoke, shared some nice things. They had beautiful music. And then, you know, freezing cold. It's outside November in Utah. Someone said, Mrs. Taylor, would you like to say something? Nobody had asked me before to prepare any remarks. Nobody asked if I wanted to speak before my husband's even burial. And I just remember very consciously thinking, if they're going to talk about us and our service and our sacrifice and our motives, they're going to talk to us. And I took the microphone. I don't remember what I said, but I spoke straight from the heart. And I think that's what that's one thing, you know, people... We're not unique. We as a family are not unique in having faced hardship or having sacrificed or having served. I know that. Trust me. I am acutely aware of the hundreds of thousands of other Americans who have died in the line of duty. Um, Brent didn't die by suicide, but we've experienced that on both sides Mm -hmm. of our family. Um, Knowing you and several friends who've lost someone to cancer, my stepsister is battling breast cancer that is, um, you know, horrific in her life. Uh, We all have horrible, awful details in our lives. For whatever reason, I feel like God's given me a chance to be a bit of a spokesperson to the fact that those details are the only thing different about us. I might be telling the Brent Taylor story, but I'm not really. I'm telling the human story. And I say this often when I speak in public, whether it's to a church group or political or just a business gathering. We could go around the room and make a list of all of our hopes and dreams and all of the bad things that have happened in life and all of the trials we've faced, and we'd probably all be really depressed. And we'd look at each other and say, we have nothing in common. Your details, cancer, I I haven't buried a husband from prostate cancer. Construction, I don't know what that life is like. Mm -hmm. Lobbyist, I've never done that. We could say how different we are. But if we scraped away the details, your story, my story, and everybody else on this human existence story goes like this. Once upon a time, I had a whole bunch of hopes and dreams, and some of them went right, and some of them went painfully wrong, and I'm still trying every day to live happily ever after. Yep. And that's, that's beautiful. That is so beautiful. You know, I, I think a lot of people could look at us and, and say, you, you know, and it's interesting, I went through a faith crisis in the middle of losing my husband, and I just had to put it aside, and so I've I've left the LDS church, I mean, I'm a member of record, 
But um, you have a greater faith and, and you went deeper into your faith through your story. And, you know, people might think, oh, well, this is an unlikely pair, but I love you so much. And one of the things I appreciate about you, and I just don't think it, that people that don't know you understand, your life story, talk about hard things. You have been through so much in life. You have endured a great deal of things, um, a wide variety of things, losing a father to suicide. Some of the things that you've shared through our podcast um, in different episodes, you don't judge. You have a great faith, but you also have a great love for people for where they're at. You have an ability to to just accept people for where they are. And I, I think that that's something really beautiful about you. Oh, I appreciate that you say that. I think that's something that's come more with age and with time. Mm -hmm. I think in my youth, I mean, I'm a zealot. If you know uh -huh. me, I'm whatever it is, I'm a zealot about it. Yeah. No, and, I get it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, you know, in our in our house, we grew up mom, dad, two boys, two girls. Mm -hmm. And then my parents marriage kind of fell apart and my dad's mental health fell apart. And like you said, he ended up taking his own life. And the two girls were very separate from the two boys. I mean, we lived in the same house, but their choices and our choices were totally different. And. Um, they got into drugs and alcohol. They barely graduated high school. They they just went on a path completely different from mine. And now I look at it. We're all in our 40s. My little sister stills in her 30s because she's the baby. But the rest of us are all in our 40s. My mom's remarried. She's in her 60s. And I think, you know what? Loving people who make different choices has helped me realize a couple of things. For one, I stand by mine. The choices I've made are mine. They've gotten mm -hmm. me to where I am. But the older I get and the more I experience in life, the more I realize I don't really know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and for me to stand here and say, you should do this or you should have done that or how dare you for making that mistake. Mm -hmm. I mean, start throwing stones right at yourself, right? Mm -hmm. So that I think that compassion is something that I, I feel like I've continued to gain as as I get older. I know less than I thought I did when I was a know-it-all. Yeah, And I think it's because I've realized just how imperfect I am, how imperfect my life is, that how in the world would I ever judge anybody else for theirs not looking the way I think it should, or even the way they thought it should. Yeah. Well, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to wrap this up. It's been fun. So we're back. I'm Michelle Sharp. I get to interview someone who I think is really amazing, and that's our own Ginny Taylor. Um, I've really appreciated interviewing you today. And um, is there something that you want to share with the people that listen to our show, with our listeners that, like, what you don't know about me is this, and what I want you to know about it is this. Hmm. That's tricky because I feel like everybody knows everything about me because, um, you know, I, I feel like I'm an open book and things have been very public. We've kind of lived in a fishbowl for a couple of years. I think one thing that's really been on my mind lately, and I think it's, again, my faith or my God kind of whispering back to me to remind me, just remembering what really matters most. It's easy to get caught up in doing and accomplishing and even influencing and wanting mm -hmm. to have this impact on the world. And that's great. And go do that all day. But you know, at the end of the day, nothing matters most than those family relationships you have. Yep. Nothing matters most than, you know, I look at, sometimes I worry that, again, from the outside, I'm like the age of woman rising in feminism that Brent's finally out of my way and I'm making a splash on the world and, and giving my opinion or, or, you know, my mark or whatever it is. And I think that's so far from what I would want our family to be to making an impact or, or maybe known for or seen as being. I learned early on through deployments and separation in the military that there's a lot of things I can do without a husband to help me. I can take out the trash. I can work on this or that. I can get all the kids to bed and off to school. And, and there's a great deal of independence and self-reliance that comes in a military family situation like that. But those same experiences really taught me it's so much better when you do them together. Mm-hmm. 
Life is so much better. I think men and women are so much better when we work together. And that's one thing that I'll admit it does it does catch my attention in today's world. We've got more women than ever in politics, more women than ever in medicine, more women mm-hmm. than ever in science, which is great. I love that. Like I had a master's degree when my first two babies were born and and I think education is paramount and having an influence and speaking your voice but doing so in a way again that's that's together. I look at what everything I'm doing now as Jenny Taylor, you know, this persona that I don't even recognize anymore. And I think, and Brent Taylor's behind every piece of it, mm-hmm. every piece of it. It's like my life's a giant game of Freaky Friday mm-hmm. to where he used to go out and do all these things and make all this impact. And I'd be like, you remember, you wouldn't be a darn thing without me in your corner. Mm-hmm. And I think I would be absolutely nothing without, without Brent oh, yeah, and the his impact reversed, on my life. Sure. And sure. yet neither one of us could have done or continue to do what we do without the other. And I love the analogy. People talk about a new chapter in the book of life. But I think sometimes when we turn the page for a new chapter, we're too quick to forget all the other chapters. Yeah. And a chapter on its own doesn't fit, right? Mm-hmm. If you picked up a book and opened a chapter 13, you'd be like, I got no idea what's going on. So even though I feel like I have gotten to this new chapter of my life where, you know, I'm, I'm serving in a military capacity as a civilian volunteer or I am out public speaking or talking to the media when that used to be Brent's job, but we're still fundamentally joined where we're helping each other these previous chapters in my life so much of what i know or say or teach or speak when given the opportunity is because i spent 15 years married to a brilliant dedicated god-fearing man mm-hmm. who without realizing it taught me i mean he shaped us right john mm-hmm. shaped you into who mm-hmm. you are and i think that losing brent so suddenly in the middle of I mean, let's be honest about childbirth and child rearing in those mm-hmm. years. Like, it's crazy. You're starting a career. You're buying a house. You're trying to get through school. You're having a baby. That's a chaotic time. You add and another I, baby, and that and baby another. brings another dynamic, and it shifts the entire family again. And then another one comes, and it does it all over again. And they're all so different. And I look back to those 15 years Brent and I had, and I feel like we were kind of always in motion, always running, always doing, always going, which is wonderful, and mm-hmm. it fit who we were and our personalities. But I think... You know, if I if I had it to do all over again, which of course I don't, so it doesn't really help to think that way. But looking forward, slow down, slow down. You know, I look at my baby Caroline. Her first birthday was two days after we buried Brent, and now she's three and a half. She's mm-hmm. crazy. She climbs all over the house. She feeds herself. She gets all of her own clothes on. And <laughs> she I is think crazy. <laughs> I'm gonna blink, and she's gonna be gone. Yeah. My oldest daughter is going to be a junior in high school this fall. I'm really going to blink and she's going to be gone. I mean, she's like me at that age. I can't wait to get the heck out of North Ogden. I can't wait Mm. to go conquer the world. And I think as we have these goals and these dreams and ambitions, which are wonderful and they drive us and they give us purpose in our lives, nothing matters more than the people in each of those chapters of our life. Yeah. And as we move on to the next chapter, I hope we continue to find joy and success and meaning. And I hope we never forget the previous chapters. And I hope we never let go of what they've taught us. You know, you and I both hate the phrase moving on. Mm -hmm. Like I'm just moving on and forgetting the rest of that. At that same Veterans Day memorial, right after Brent died, uh, local media asked me, how will you possibly carry on, move on without Brent? I just looked at him like that was the dumbest question I've ever heard. I'm taking him with me wherever I go. Right. He's always I'm taking him with me. And so one of the hardest things now in this surreal world in which I live, I I feel Brent so much a part of everything I do because he's such a part of who I am. It's not necessarily that I feel like his ghost accompanying me side by side. It's all the conversations over the years, all the sacrifice and service, all the blood, sweat and tears over having children together and trying to pay bills and, and chase a dream and a career. That's who I am. That's how I think. Mm-hmm. I am us. Yeah. And that's weird. And, and you can call it my faith or whatever. I'm, I'm not Brent. I don't claim to be him. I'm not trying to live the life he didn't get to live. I'm not trying to pick up where he left off. But I'm no longer just who I was 18 years ago. Yeah. I am us. And I can't explain it and I can't put it into words, but I'm a better person because I carry Brent Taylor with me. Absolutely. I'm, I'm a more complete person because of the things about him that used to drive me crazy. I'm a more compassionate person. I think I'm a better public servant in whatever capacity that is because of the service he gave and what it taught me. And 
I think the biggest message I have for the whole world, particularly my own children, is life is better together. Whether that's a husband and wife, a parent mm-hmm. and a child, co-host on a podcast. I agree. You know, we get so bent on being self-sufficient, self-reliant, independent, independent. independent. And I want to say two thumbs down to that. Yeah. I am nothing without all the people who keep me on my feet. I am nothing without my God. I am nothing without Brent Taylor. And I don't say that in a poor me, meaningless woman kind of way. We found each other early in our lives. We were both in our mid-20s. And we taught each other and we grew together and we had 15 beautiful years together of ups and downs and driving each other crazy. I remember one time, bless his heart, we were talking about something. We never yelled at each other, but it was one of those things where you could tell tensions were high. And he said something like, you are such a piece of work. And I looked right back at him and I said, and I am your piece of work. So there you go. And I think of that all the time, like. When we really find companionship in life, again, and, and that could uh-huh. be a marriage, that could be a partnership, that could be a, a parent-child, a coworker. are we willing to be each other's piece of work? Mm-hmm. Are we willing to call each other out when we're totally wrong or off base or kind of out of line? And are we willing to be called out? You know, not everybody is on either side. Sure. They're not willing to call it out or they're not willing to receive the message, right? Absolutely. But it is a beautiful thing when you do that. And John and I were that for each other. When John and I first met, I was smoking cigarettes and drinking alcohol. And he's like, I really hate cigarettes. And I'm like, all right, I'll quit. So I'm like, you know, I really don't like that you did this other thing. And he's like, all right, I quit. So we yeah. quit. You're making and, each and other we better. just made each other better. It was just a day, a step at a time. And, and, and we it just wasn't- kept. Correct me if I'm wrong. It wasn't in a bossy way. No. Like, you have to do that, or I expect you to be. No. I I didn't even have an expectation. He just mentioned to me he didn't like it. And I'm like, well, if you don't like it, I'm done with it. Yeah. I want to do what makes you approve of me. Again, and and again, this is so tricky to say because it's not like I'm just this um, doormat of a wife that's going to do whatever he says or expects or things I ought to. I think when there's love and mutual mutual. respect, right? It, it's what you want yeah. to do you, for that partner. You want to be better for each other, right? right? You want to not impress each other. Not that I was e- really enjoying smoking anyway. <laughs> I'm not saying it was a big sacrifice, but, you know. But it was, it was something that mattered just, to you because it right. mattered to him. Exactly. And I think that's one thing. You know, I do feel like I've seen Brent's world from his perspective in a way I never could have appreciated from home. And I... I I don't live with regret. Like, I don't feel like that does any good. But I look at that and I feel like I know him better now than I did in life. Mm-hmm. Because we were so caught up in those early years of life and chaos and child rearing and bill paying. And it it's almost instantly after he died to where now I'm doing some of the things he used to do. Or I'm in situations where he might previously have been. And I'm thinking, oh, so this is what you did all day. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I remember when And it is fun. And it and it is. And it's and, and it's exhilarating. It. I I love watching you. And it's it's exhilarating. Yeah. And I, f- I feel like I am I am maybe making a difference or I am learning or I'm meeting Absolutely. people that are teaching me and making me a better mom and a better person. I feel like I'm a better wife, which I know some yeah. people think is weird because my husband's dead. But you know, when Brent first deployed this last time, he made a video on Facebook to announce it to the, the city that he'd be taking a leave of absence. He kind of did almost his own little video interview. And he he quoted a man from our faith named Ezra Taft Benson, who had written a book called The Three Great Loyalties. And Ezra Taft Benson was a, a huge role model for Brent. He was a patriot. He was God-fearing. He was service-oriented family man. And These three great loyalties that Ezra Taft Benson had written and lived his life by were God, family, and country. And I remember knowing that, that I don't remember Brent and I ever using the three words or saying, okay, how does this serve God? How does this serve our family? Or how does this serve our country? It was just inherent in everything Mm -hmm. we did. But shortly after he died, as I I started to feel myself getting this greater understanding of him and, and greater understanding of my place in the world when somebody dies, some of the little details of life just don't matter anymore. You let go of the things that were so big mm-hmm. of a deal. And when I was kind of in that really sacred space shortly after his death, I realized that for Brent Taylor, service to God, family, or country was always service to all three. Mm-hmm. And that changed that changed my whole 15 years. That reshapes how I see those 15 years of, of marriage with him. Because as he served our God, our family, and our country, it was all one. 
everything he did for God was for me and our country. Everything he did for our country was for God and me and the kids and, and so forth. I don't know that I saw that as clearly in life because life was so busy and so fast paced. And that's where I'm grateful that I have, again, back to my faith perspective, I know Brent still exists. You know, he's, he's not here in the same way. And that can be really hard because he'll feel you know, so close to a part of me. That is our next uh, interview that we do with each other or, or a chat for our podcast on um, developing the relationship when they're gone. Oh, I love because it. I I have so many I shared it with this you with this a long time ago. I don't know if you remember it, but um I had an experience where I felt John and Brent were in my living room and I was really at a crossroads and I felt like they were both there and they were both ministering to me and I had to get my crap together. I love that so much. And and I felt that Brent was there, which is crazy because I've never met Brent in the yeah, real world. And I never met John. Right. Yeah. Right. But I mean, it is true. And that's a whole nother, yeah, a whole nother place that we could go to because there's so many different stories. I want to end with one last story that I have to give to you. That article came out. I'll tell you why it hurt me so hard. Just hit me so hard and such the wrong way. I felt like there was just a negative spin, and I thought, why didn't this SOB come and talk to me? Like, if he was looking for, like, a story, like, why didn't he seek out the person that Brent's holding the flag? Like, what was that about, you know? And that flag to me, so Brent and I knew each other from a private Facebook group, and that was it. And the only thing Brent knew about me was the stories that I could not tell my family because I had children that were losing a father and that I didn't feel like I wanted to put publicly on my Facebook wall. I was very open, very public about what we were going through, very open. But there were some things that I really couldn't share that I, when I got dark or when I needed real, like, I need help for this or I need, this is happening right now and I'm not sure how to do it, or I just needed to tell someone something, I would post it in that group. Brent never responded to me on a direct message. We never had an interaction. We never discussed anything. But the morning of, the day before John's life celebration, that's the day he had climbed that mountain and sent me that picture and wrote me the words that he wrote to me. And he did that out of love. It was pure kindness. He was thinking about his fellow man. He was thinking about somebody who he knew nothing of. He had kind words to say about my husband that I had relayed a story in my sharing. My very private husband who was not a sharer. He was very much a loner. And he said I really wish I would have had the chance to know your husband. He was clearly a friend to all who knew him. And I felt like he heard my message that I wanted people to know about my husband. And that acknowledgement was so profound to me on that day when I really didn't want to get out of bed. And this flag to me is so symbolic because I am in politics and it has meant so much to me my love of country, my my desire for freedom. And it was just so symbolic that John's biggest concern was that I would have security and that there would be others looked out for me. And so that moment, I felt like it was all going to be okay. And I was able to get through that next day. And Brent Taylor did that. And that is the man that Brent Taylor was. That's who he is. And that's who I want your kids to know is the truth about who he is. I love you, Michelle. I'm crying too much to talk, but yeah, that's, he's a good, good man. I can joke and say he was old fashioned or boring or, or, you know, a little ADHD and always involved in everything. But at the heart of it, he's just a good man, a good man who loves nothing more than being a husband and a dad. A son, a devoted son and brother to his family. And, and he loved his fellow man. And he just loved people. And I think yeah. that's one thing I'm learning, you know, in his wake and after his passing is that he was able to talk with people who disagreed, take people who were in a heated emotional moment, 
and calm them down and just say, let's just hear each other. And I think that's that's the legacy. I mean, it, it's the great legacy of politics and military. That's that's one thing for my kids to look at. I want them to know that their dad loved his family and his fellow man and that that's what he dedicated his life to. He loved the Afghan people he served with. He loved them genuinely. He loved his fellow soldiers from America or NATO or wherever they were from. That legacy is the one that I hope as we continue to tell the Brent Taylor story and live the Brent Taylor story, I hope we realize that really is the human story. If we want to get at the heart of what the human story is, it's that we all need each other. We need each other's encouragement, each other's faith and compassion. And like you always say, we just need to be kind. Like whatever you do today, just be kind. You don't know when today might be the day that someone's about to break. And I'm or so take their own life or or, or drastic decisions or yeah. hurt somebody else or whatever it is, yeah, or whatever their up. pain is causing. We're all, you know, and this is what I learned this weekend out of that crazy divine assembly thing that I went to. We are all in so much pain. We all have stories. We all are in so much pain. We are all suffering from hurt. We all don't get what we want in every moment in this life. We rarely do actually but it it's those in-between moments and it's being grateful for what we do have that can make it bearable to get through the rest of it and I feel like if we can all just tap into that that this pain that I'm feeling is mine but somebody else is dealing with theirs and it is just as great for them so let's all just have a little bit more compassion and a will willingness to be a little Absolutely. bit kinder. Michelle, I love you. To our listeners, we love you. Thanks for listening. Um, I hope you still like me at the end of this because I <laughs> feel like I've been really honest and open. But life is all about learning, right? We're learning yep. to love. We're learning to help each other. We're learning we need help. In closing, my quick shout out is just thanks to this wonderful community here in Utah and, and the military community that have just loved and prayed us out of bed every day. Like, I can't yeah. say that enough, how grateful I am. Um, you know, people say, oh, you're so strong. No, I'm not. I have a great support network. Um, I believe living and dead, those who've gone before me, I think of my dad often. I think of my husband all the time. And they believe in me. They think I can do this. You guys out there think I can do this. And so even though I'm like, you guys are totally crazy and wrong, <laughs> We're I, guess, not. We're I, guess, not. I guess I'm at least going to try. I guess I'm going to try. So if you're out there and you have a story you're willing to share, please reach out to us. We would love to hear your story and connect with you. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Relentlessly Resilient and Relentlessly Resilient Podcast. And we hope to hear from you. Give us a rating and a review on your favorite podcast platform. And we'll keep telling these stories and hopefully keep connecting on this human level. Thank you. Whatever you do today, be kind. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.